new on Curiosity Stream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns, reimagined for our time. Now, this is all uncharted territory. The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. It's fine. I was just moving my uh, thing over here. Good afternoon, everybody. And hey, MMA is back. At least UFC is. We've got a DraftKings and FanDuel card to talk about today. And it's been a minute since there's been a UFC card. It's been about a month. And uh, I'm sorry that we're not going right up into lock like we normally do. But there's NFL playoffs. And that also takes precedent. So uh, if you guys are in Discord and you have questions for us, at us. We'll answer them during the show. If you guys are in YouTube chat hanging out, ask us questions. We'll hit on some of those as well as you come in, like the video. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Shout out to Prize Picks, the sponsor of today's show. But Josh, what is happening? How are you feeling about the return of UFC? Yeah, I feel like we're in inception here. Sean Strickland ended 2022 yeah. <laughs> UFC card on the main event. Now he's back on the first uh, fight card of 2023. That was an injury. You know, Kelvin Gastelum said mouth injury. I uh, kind of feel like he couldn't stop eating on Christmas, maybe. But if he is hurt, you know, hopefully he gets better soon. I like, he, could have, I, he could have hurt his mouth eating. It's yeah. very possible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I kind of like this card. I, I wish um, it wasn't 11 fights. A couple of fights fell off. Weight cutting issues. But, you know, 11 fights, at least it's not nine. There, There's going to be some heavy chalk options we'll talk about. But I think there's some nice, you know, lower owned options that we can get in today. Yeah, the fight that I'm most bummed that fell out is I was really looking forward to watching Shavkat Rachmanov fight against Jeff Neal. I really want to see Rachmanov in a step up in competition. And, you know, we're still getting that fight. It's happening a couple months from now, but I think we really could have used it to bolster this particular card. And then, you know, it's really weird when you look at this card from a perspective. You look at all the, the lines and all the favorites that are on the card, and it's kind of hard to find underdogs to like just from this standpoint. Look at some of the lines we've got. We've got you know, like Charles Johnson is a moderate favorite relative to the other lines on the card, and he's still a minus 350. And then we've got Dan Argetta now, who's up to a minus uh, like 550 to minus 450 favorite, depending where you're looking. We've got Rebecca priced at minus 750. You know, Usman Nurmagomedov, he is north of a plus 1,000 favorite, depending where you look. So how are you going to go about building some of your lineups when there are all these really high upside players at the top end, but because there's so many of them, it means the conversely, there's nobody to really save money with on the on the bottom end. So how does this impact the way you approach this slate? Yeah, this is a problem, but 
the one thing Dan Argueta or, or I don't even know how to pronounce it, but he was in the prize. He was in listed at 8,600 when he was fighting uh, Isaac Delgarian and that fell off. And then Nick Aguirre came in. So he's a minus 550 favorite at 8,600. That's going to be like, that's, he's, that's just a massive uh, value per his line based on his DK price. So I feel like a lot of people are just going to start there. They're going to see, oh, it's minus 600 at 8,600. He's not at 9,500. So I'm just going to put him in. So, like, you can build min range here, but, like, I feel like you need someone in the top range. Like, Rebecca had a very quick wrestling-based finish on the Contender Series. Cousin Umar is Khabib's cousin. Uh, you, you see the last name. It always makes your eyebrows raise. You have uh, Nascimento. You know, those flyweights get after it. could be a high-paced fight there. Charles Johnson. Like, it's just, it's just really tough. Like, and you you look at like the underdogs, like the underdogs that you want to possibly have, you know, exposure to, they're not like 7,100. They're 7,900, like Ribeiro, Sean Strickland in the main event, not a, you know, a massive dog at 7,700. You know what I mean? So when you're getting down to the 7,300 and under, you're just kind of hoping that they can make it to the, to the, to the bell. You know what I mean? It gets to the judges cards and not, all these guys get quick finish because otherwise you're looking at a winning lineup possibly with only five wins. Yeah. That was, what I was going to ask is how live do you think it is for us to have a winning lineup? that's going to have a loser just where it's like, Hey, if so many of these favorites play to what the betting lines are, we just aren't going to see underdogs winning very frequently today. If that's the case, could we see somebody like a Carlos Hernandez who's more likely to go to the distance? Like, could he put up 35, 40 fantasy points and be in an optimal lineup just because there are so few underdogs that we expect to win. Is that something you're considering? Yeah, I am. And like <clears throat> the Javid Basharat fight, like he's fighting uh, Men- Mendoza or Mendoza, however you pronounce it. But like Basharat and his two UFC fights have gone the distance. So yeah, the, his opponent's 7K. It's like maybe he goes the distance there. I'll put him in. But then you have these like guys like Nick Aguirre, Jimmy Flick, um, if they're going to win, they're probably going to win by finish. But if they get finished as well, like they have no floor. So in GBPs, yeah, you're, maybe you'll take a shot and maybe Jimmy Flick wins by submission. But like if these guys don't hit their one outers here, you're hoping that like you get a guy who goes to the decision, scores 35, 40 points in a loss and he'll, it's enough. Yeah. And uh, I'm definitely going to use some of the tools that we have over at stochast.com to help me make some decisions today. And this is one of these slates where I do think there's a lot of variance to it, just where there's so many big favorites. And I do think there's a good chance that a losing fighter is going to be on an optimal lineup. So we're going to be talking a good amount about our boom bust tool over the course of the show. And if you guys do want access for free to everything we have over at stochastic.com, get a five-day free trial for our MMA package. If you've never signed up before by clicking on the link that we have below, and uh, Mike is going to be throwing that into the YouTube chat in a second as well. So you guys want to check out all the stuff we have there. It is our our projections, ownership projections. But then in addition, we've got our boom bust tool, which is going to give you percentage odds of each player's or each fighter's having optimal scores relative to their ownership and leverage score. So it's a really useful way to figure out, number one, not just who are the best projected plays on the slate, but also who's over-owned, who's under-owned, good ways to go and uh, approach lineups in large field tournaments and allocate some exposures. But Let's start by talking about the main event as well. We've got Nasruddin Imabov taking on Sean Strickland. So Strickland stepping in on short notice. Like you said, two main events in a row for Strickland. 
He fought at UFC uh, the last fight night, which was about a month ago. He took on Jared Cannonier in the main event. It was fairly close. I'm not going to say it was controversial. I, I think it was reasonable to say either one of those guys could have won that fight. But now I've got Sean Strickland as a slight underdog, but also potentially a big size advantage. He weighed in the 204 pounds at the way, and we saw Imavov come in at 194. Does it impact how you look at this fight at all? It has to, just because Sean Strickland, he wouldn't take a five-round main event if he wasn't in shape. That dude's always in the gym. He's always sparring. Neither of these guys had to cut weight. You know, Strickland came in at 204. But Imavev at 194, where his path to victory might, like, actually be wrestling. Like, if the fight was at 185, I think he would have to grapple because, you know, unless he knocked out Sean Strickland, which we've seen happen before, it's going to be a competitive fight on the feet. Now, Sean Strickland has pretty good takedown defense, but now if you're going into a fight with a guy who has an 85% takedown defense and he has a 10-pound advantage on you and he probably has better cardio than you, like, we, we've never seen Imovev really tested in these later rounds. We saw his UFC debut against, um, who was it? It was Jordan Williams, who, Jordan Williams is a great story, by the way. He was the first UFC athlete or one of the first fighters to fight professionally with uh, type 2 diabetes. So he had weight cutting issues, as was. But, like, you saw in that three-round fight, uh, Imovev really kind of fade in the third round. You saw he lost a uh, decision to Phil Hawes. He faded hard in that one. And then he won a couple by finish in the second round. And then, you know, he beat Buckley by decision, but he kind of also faded. Like Sean Strickland, one of his things is cardio. So if this is a close competitive fight, going into the fourth round, you really have to favor Strickland here, especially at 205. He didn't have to cut weight. He's in shape. He's a better wrestler. He has higher output, like Imovev uh, nicknamed the, the Russian sniper, which is a good nickname, but he, his output is the issue. You know what I mean? Like 4.08 strikes landed per minute is okay, but a lot of that came, you know, ground and pound in his two finishes. So, you know, on the feet, he doesn't have high output. Sean Strickland's going to push the pace. Imovev's going to get tired. It's kind of hard not to favor Strickland, especially in a five-round fight. Yeah, and he's one of the most popular fighters on the card, and I think it's warranted in this scenario. Just from the standpoint of this, it is so hard to find cheap fighters that we really like, like we were talking about before. And Sean Strickland at $7,700. Number one, you guys should be playing him in cash games for sure over on DK. FanDuel is going to be a little bit of a different uh, scenario when we were looking at this fight. It's a decent one to target, but not quite the same as what it is on DraftKings just because the finish is so much more important on FanDuel. And for DraftKings purposes, I don't expect this fight to finish inside the distance. I think it is going to go to the judges' scorecards. And then I think some of the security Sean Strickland brings to the table and just the fact, too, that I, I just don't find that many fighters that I like to target sub-8K, and Strickland's kind of one of them by default. And even in a loss, I think he should score fairly decently. So uh, Strickland's going to be one of my most rostered fighters, and I'm certainly going to have more exposure to him than Imavov. Uh, and Imavov... I don't even know how much I'm going to play of him in tournaments because there's so many other high-end fighters that I like more than him. So what are you going to be doing with Imavov? I think a lot of people are going to be targeting Strickland. Makes sense. But but what are you going to do with Imavov in tournaments? Imavov at 8,700. He was in the pool, you know, at that price when he's fighting Gaslam. Now he gets a tougher matchup. He's kind of like... He's, he's overpriced per his odds. We'll just put it that way. And then you look at the ownership projection on him. 
like he's still coming in around 30% just because it's a main event fighter. So if he's going to come in around that percentage, I'm going to be under the field just because like, like you said, it's really hard to find someone under 8K that you like. Strickland's going to have the output advantage. Like you look at his last fight against Cannoneer in a loss, he had 152 significant strikes over five rounds. If he repeats that, you know what I mean? Like he's still going to score well, even if he loses the decision. So MFF, like, I guess would be a, you know, leverage play in GPPs. But even so, like, he would probably need an earliest finish to be on the optimal lineup here tonight. There's a lot of finishers up in the top range. Yeah, that's that's how I see it as well. And that's the issue I have with getting to Imavov. It's just, number one, Strickland's one of my favorite value plays. And obviously, if I'm playing Strickland, it's not going to have Imavov in that lineup as well. And I think I prefer just about every other fighter on the card priced around Imavov. All the fighters priced above him. All the fighters priced a little bit below him. Like you mentioned, Tan Argetto when we were doing the intro. I just like so many other guys better than Imavov, and I like Strickland in the fight. So uh, a little concern that Strickland, uh, according to at least himself in interviews, is that he has not trained since his last fight, and nor has he lived or eaten healthy. But it's kind of hard to take Sean Strickland's interview seriously for multiple ways, and I'm going to be backing him in this fight. And I think a lot of people will as, as well, and Imavov is just going to be hard to prioritize. And then as we get into the co-main event, it's kind of funny. A lot of the fights, or at least the fights towards the top of the card, you know, we just talked about the main event, and then we're going to talk about Ige, Damon Jackson, then a little bit Ketlin Vieira, Raquel Pennington. I, I like a lot of the or I like a lot of the fights at the top of the card, more at least for DFS purposes. So we'll talk more about those later. But the next one, Danny Ige versus Damon Jackson. I think there's more finishing equity in Danny Ige, so I lean towards him in large field tournaments. But another fight that I'm not really prioritizing all that heavily because I think it's one of the fights that's more likely to go to decision on this card relative to some of the other ones. So Dan Ige, Damon Jackson, how are you going to be playing this card, this fight? So this is an interesting one because I, I like Damon Jackson as a fighter. The problem is, is yeah, the, the one, his durability compared to Ige, not as good. You saw Ilya Teporia sent him to the shadow realm in the first round. Now, Ilya Teporia looks like he's going to challenge for the belt. But it's still a knockout loss. And then you see the four wins he has after that. Charles Rosa, like, anyone can take Charles Rosa down. He's just impossible to submit. Like, he has the best defensive <laughs> jiu-jitsu in the UFC, probably, but he just can never get off from the bottom. Then he beat Kamala Kirk by submission. That's okay. Like then he beat Dan Argueta, who's fighting today, but like Argueta pushed him pretty hard there. Then he knocked out Pat Sabatini in a minute. Like Pat Sabatini just got caught there. Then you look at Danny Ige's resume. Yeah, he's lost four or five, but the losses are Calvin Cater, the Korean Zombie, Josh Emmett, and uh, Evelev. Like all those guys have fought for or have contended for the belt in the featherweight division. That is a gauntlet. And then the one win he had, the first punch he landed on Gavin Tucker, he knocked him out. Now, that was kind of a lucky punch or whatever happened there. So you can't really rely on Danny Gay coming out, hitting Damon Jackson once and him going down. But you look at the other loss Damon Jackson has in the UFC um, before that. Like, uh, yeah, he lost by bulldog choke to Yancey uh, Medeiros, but that was way back in 2014. Like, since he came back to the UFC in 2020, he's beaten Mursad Bektik. But the problem there was Bektik took him down seven times, controlled him. And Mursad Bektik's big problem, when he gasses, he's done. 
new on Curiosity Stream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns, reimagined for our time. Now, this is all uncharted territory. The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. And then he lost to Ilya Teporia, right? Danny Ige is kind of like a Walmart version of Teporia and Bektik combined. Like, Ige has the wrestling, he has the striking, he has the power. But like he's not this high upside finisher. So while I think Ige should be the rightful favorite, I have a tough time getting there in DraftKings or in DFS just because like the finishing upside might be there. But if it goes to the decision, I don't think he's going to be on the optimal lineup. Yeah, like, like I said, the my pri- if I had to play a side of this fight, I would lean towards Ige. I did bet Dan Ige. Uh, at a slightly better number than what's available right now. I bet him at minus 110, depending where you look. He's anywhere from minus 125 to minus 140 now is Dan Ige. Uh, so I like that. But in terms of DraftKings purposes, like I said, if I had to play one side, I prefer Ige. But this is a low-priority fight relative to some of the other ones and not the lowest-priority fight on the entire car. That one's pretty clear, and that'll be in a couple of fights when we talk about Kelton Vieira and Raquel Pennington. But once again, Dan Ige, Damon Jackson, not going to be a high-priority fight for me. The next one is, though, we've got Punahele Soriano taking on Roman Kapilov, and Soriano is a lot of power. And if you look at a lot of his wins, he scores fairly well on DraftKings. And, you know, you look at some of the fights that he had uh, to open up his UFC career, where we saw the fight against Oscar Pichota, first-round knockout, Dusko Todorovic, first-round knockout with a couple of knockdowns. And then he kind of got wrestle-fucked by Nick Maximov, 11 takedowns in that fight. And then last time out, knocks out Dolce Lungiambula in the second round. So just because we generally have seen Soriano win by finish in his wins, and then also you're looking at somebody in Roman Kapilov who we've seen finish before in the UFC, I think this is a pretty good spot to take Soriano in large field tournaments. Now, once again, a little hard to find the value to make us only be able to pay up for for some of these, uh, you know, like mid to upper K8K guys. But Kapilov to me is somebody who I do like getting to, and I prefer him in that mid-upper 8K range to somebody like Imovov. But what's your read on this fight? Yeah, if I had to choose between Soriano and Ige on DraftKings, it would be so, it would be uh, Soriano. Now, Kapilov, he looks like the Russian Chase Hooper. He's not Chase Hooper. He can he can kind of hold his own on the feet there. He did knock out uh, Alessio DiCirico his last time out in September. Now, he lost by submission to Carl Roberson. That's kind of, yeah. then he lost the decision to Albert uh, Durev in 2021. He's he's not flashy by any means. And you look at his metrics and it, it shows that. He lands 3.44 strikes per minute, but he absorbs 3.81. Anytime you're absorbing more than you're hitting someone, it's not good. You're getting hit more than you're, you know, outputting. And he doesn't really wrestle. He's landed one takedown in the UFC. Soriano has the power advantage for sure. He lands 3.95 strikes per minute, which isn't great. He does wrestle a little bit more. He landed, you know, three takedowns in his on the Dana White's contender series against Jamie Pickett. He hasn't really gone to the wrestling too much in the UFC, just one. I think that could be a path here, but Soriano definitely has some finishing upside here. 
it's just this one it, it kind of feels a little trappy too because if sort if this gets out of like the first round without Soriano knocking out like yeah you get there in the second round but you're looking for you know 90 100 points plus you just kind of are concerned that if he doesn't finish early he's going to be another bust in GPPs yeah so uh once again, like this is a fight where other ones are like a little bit more, but still of the fighters we've talked about so far, I, I think that we have the uh, the best case to be made for for rostering uh, Soriano. I think he is of all the fighters we've talked about so far. I think Soriano is the most upside of these three fights. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and his price isn't going to kill you, right? So like you don't need 130 DK points at 8500 to top the lineup. If he gets a second round knockout and scores. I don't know, 97, there's a good chance he'll still get there despite, you know, depending on like the the other fighters in the top range. But if, you know, 97 to 105 points at 100 at 8,500, that should be optimal. You know what I mean? And then on the flip side, if, you know, the fight does go to decision, top off at 7,700 could be an interesting, you know, pivot off Strickland if you if you don't believe in his cardio or you don't think he's going to win. But again, like, it's hard to find fighters under that 8K. And Soriano has pretty high finishing upside here. So Popolov is a risk because he has a very low floor here, but he could be an interesting pivot in GPPs off Strickland. Yeah, so uh, once again, I think that Kopilov, if we're to make a list of the underdogs that are at least worth getting some exposure to, he's he's in that he's in that category for sure. Uh, the next fight, though, Ketlin Vieira, Raquel Pennington. I'm not betting this fight. I'm going to be taking out of my player pool for DFS purposes. I hope we don't see something stupid happen, like a DQ win in the first round or or some sort of weird, obscure finish. But I think pretty clearly, of all the fights that we have today, this one's close to a coin flip, so it's hard to say that there's a real good lean on who's going to win. But in addition to that, minus 330 to minus 350 to go to the judges' scorecards, Traditionally, Raquel Pennington fights do not score well for DraftKings or FanDuel purposes. Am I missing anything in this fight, or can we write it off and just kind of move along? Yeah, I am going to have pretty low exposure to this fight. Like in 150, if you have a little bit, you know, that's fine. Like you're going to see Raquel Pennington with a lot of, you know, cage work. You know, you're just going to hold Vieira against the cage and vice versa. Generally a pretty low score. And the ownership reflects that, right? It's a mid-range fight, which... This card, you know, there's going to be some good mid-range builds, but like you see, uh, Ellen Vieira, 8,200, 21%. That's low. Raquel Pennington, under 20%. Like, there's just nothing there. Like, the winner probably maybe will get to 80 in a decision if there's wrestling involved and control time, but Vegas has it lined over minus 300 to go to the decision. Chances are that's a good number. So unless like Ketlin Vieira has like nine takedowns and eight minutes of control time, which against Raquel Pennington seems like a very tall task, this is going to be a very low scoring fight on DraftKings today. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see any way around it. And really quick, I'm just going to pull up the recent fantasy scores for Raquel Pennington. They're not great. And also, it's the way that she fights. It also smothers her opponents. It reduces their ability to really score well. So the recent fights for Penny Jambali, these have actually been some of her better scores. 83 fantasy points, 93 against Macy Chesson, 75, 94, 25, 71, 26, 37, 78, 77. None of those are enough to win in the GPP 
So I, to me, this is a fight that I'm not going to be getting any exposure to. Are you, are you going to play any of it in large field tournaments or just like me, you're going to take it out of the player pool? I, I'm probably just going to exit. Like that 93 points against Macy Chieson was in a second round finish. You know what I mean? So like good chance that the winner is under 75 points if the fight goes decision, which it most likely is. So, I mean, if you want to play in cash for the safety, I guess, but like even there, like I, like I'm going to have no exposure in GPP. So let's talk about the uh, next fight. Then moving on. Although first shout out to our sponsors today, prize picks. And if you guys haven't signed up for prize picks yet, there's a couple of reasons to do it. First of all, you can get up to a hundred dollar bonus on your first deposit when you sign up using our link. But in addition, you're going to get one free month of Stochastic Plus Platinum where you're going to find all the tools you need to build MMA DFS lineups. We've got our player projections. We've got our ownership projections. We've got the top fighters tool, which is going to give you you know percentage of odds of fighters to reach their ceilings and to score 100 or more fantasy points. But it's not just MMA that we have covered over at Stochastic as well. We've got NBA tools, NFL tools with those two sports going on as well. So you're going to get all of that when you sign up over at PrizePix using our uh, link which you can find below or in Discord channel right now. One free month Stochastic Plus Platinum and up to a hundred dollar bonus on your first deposit. But one of the fights that I'm looking forward to the most, Umar Nurmagomedov taking on Haoni Barcelos. And do you do you think there's any impact with Habib stepping away as a coach to his cousin Umar here? Because I, I kind of think that it could have an impact on these fighters. It's really hard to know until we actually see it play out. And I think there's going to be a lot of narratives written in hindsight. Either these fighters look really good post Habib. And we say it didn't really matter what he did as the coach because he was able to instill his wisdom in them. Or we see some of these guys maybe start to lose, which hasn't happened that much. Fighters cornered by Habib during his time in the UFC, 19 and 2. But is there should we should we be concerned about, about Habib not being in the corner for Umar and uh, stepping away from coaching? It's kind of hard to quantify that. You know what I mean? Like, I think Umar is still with uh, Javier Mendez. So he's a very ex- he's an excellent coach as well. So then you got Rowney. Barcelos, who's his metrics are good, but he is aging for MMA. Like, you know, he's 35, which for MMA, a lot of tread in his tires, though. But he does land 5.82 significant strikes per minute, absorbs almost five. He has very good takedown defense. So, like, yeah, you might say that Umar struggled out could be because he struggled taking Barcelos down, but like, Barcelos has excellent takedown defense. Umar's undefeated though, and he's he's a minus one thousand favorite in some spots. It's just kind of hard to plug in Barcelos today. He's one of those guys you have to consider though, just because the bottom tier of these fighters is just ugly. So maybe he can extend the fight. Maybe he can land some takedowns on his own. Like Barcelos is the biggest name of these fighters in the seventy three hundred to under range. So maybe by default he gets some ownership there. So. Going back to your original question, I, I just don't know what kind of impact it's going to have. I just think, you know, Barcelos is a tough test for Cousin Umar. I just, I, I still think he's going to pass the test. It's just, is he going to do enough early to hit that optimal lineup, I think is the question. Yeah, here's, here's what I, I love Umar. I think he's a future champion. I think he's going to be a champion of the Bantamweight division probably by the end of next year. Not this year, because I don't think he's going to have enough fights. I expect him to win this fight. And then I think he's going to step up in competition a few months from now, 
And then I think he makes his way into the top five. And then sometime next year, I think we see Umar fight for the title. But Howie Barcelos is a fighter who is, like you mentioned, really good takedown defense. It's a big step up in competition for Umar. And just relative to the other top-end fighters, I feel a little bit better about some of their upside. So uh, Umar, I definitely think, is a strong target. But relative to where I think his ownership is going to be, I'm probably going to be a little bit underweight to the field on him. Not really a knock against Umar at all. But still, I, it's it's really hard to find value to spend all the way up to the top end guys. And I just think I'm going to be looking at other fighters a little bit more. So relative to the popularity of Umar, do you think he'll be over underweight to him projected to be 44% owned in large field tournaments? Yeah. And if he wasn't Khabib's cousin, I don't think he'd be a minus 1,000 favorite. You know, I mean, he gets the, the name bump there. But like yeah. the thing with Barcelos is he's tough in the first like seven and a half, 10 minutes maybe in the fight, but he has cardio issues as well. He tends to, you know, kill or be killed. I feel like Umar can get a late finish here. I just, I don't know if it's going to be enough compared to like Rebecca or, um, you know, Nascimento or Charles Johnson. If one of those guys finishes, like, I don't know. It, it's a weird, it's a weird one for me just because based off his ownership, one of the top fighters on the field, but like it's the biggest matchup that he's had. And it worries me a little bit. Like you look at his previous fights and I think he gets through him. Barcelos, no problem. But like Nate Manis, he, he beat Brian Kelleher, Sergey Morozov. Like, yeah, those are nice wins, but Barcelos is a very tough test. So I kind of agree. I'm going to be under the field. I I'll still have some, in 150, I don't think I'll be near the 45% that he's projected. Yeah, and that to me is, when I was just talking about Umar, once again, it's not that I dislike him. I said I think he's going to be the champion at some point. I just can't imagine he's going to end up being in more than half my lineups today, which is really which is really what it comes down to is, you know, if if we could only roster one of the high-end guys, actually, I do prefer Rebecca in, in this card to paying up for Umar Namagomedov. And then still, though, it's hard to get up to these guys at 50 plus percent ownership, just because there are so few underdogs we like on this slate. So I find it hard to pay all the way up to a bunch of these guys and kind of where I stand with it. Not that I feel great about it. If, if Umar goes out and scores 130 points, I'm going to feel like a moron if I don't have him in, you know, a million lineups, but just kind of the way the slate breaks down for me. Let's move on to the next fight. And we've got uh, Javid Basharat taking on Matush Madanka. And Madanka looked really good on Contender Series, but. A lot of guys look good on Contender Series, and it's kind of hard to put too much weight into it. Basharat's looked really good in the UFC so far. How do you like this fight in tournaments, and which side are you going to prioritize? I really like Basharat as a fighter. Now, for DFS purposes, not so much. He's pretty low scoring. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I kind of like Mendonca just as one of those underdogs by default because you look at his record on the on the amateur scene or the uh not the amateur scene the regional scene he won by you know first round knockout in 48 seconds on the contender series but like you said like this is dana white marketing machine at its best like get these guys early finishes get them in on 12 and 12 contracts get some of the more highly paid guys out of there you look at his regional scene first round finish first round by armbar first round by tko first round by triangle choke First round by Kimura, you know what I mean? Like, he has finishing upside here. I think he can crack. Again, you look at these guys' records that he's fighting, not great. He doesn't get pushed outside of the first round. I think, you know, Madonka might be one of those guys you put into TPPs and hope he can catch Basharat's chin in the first round because if it gets out of the first round, it could get pretty ugly. But on the flip side, if Basharat doesn't finish, it feels like he's going to be a bust for GPPs. It's weird matchmaking. Right, because Basharat, I, I think is a fair. Were you getting, were you getting a echo there? A little bit, yeah. Hmm. Do you hear that echo, Mike? I'm not exactly sure what it is, but every time I I talk, I could hear it again. Okay, whatever. Uh, so anyway, the the matchmaking year for Basharat, he fought Tony Gravely in his last fight, Trevin Jones, the fight before. Doesn't this feel like a step back in competition for him? It feels like a step down, yeah. But this kid can crack, though. That's the thing. So, I don't know. Are you going to be taking shots on Madonka then in, in tournaments as well? I think so. Just because, like, if he doesn't finish in the first round, maybe he still makes it to the decision. Like, it, beggars can't be choosers in this low range, right? I, I feel like, um, you know, Cachuera was going to be a popular target at 7,400. That fight fell off so like you have to take chances on some of these guys to fit some of the top range guys and you know do you really want to put in ronnie barcelos against a minus 1000 cousin umar nick fiore against matus rebecca you know what i mean jimmy flick maybe has some finishing upside nick aguirre maybe has some finishing upside but like none of these guys you can be confident in at all so you got to take some stabs here and hope you can get a, a win otherwise so yeah madonka probably is going to see his way into some of my lineups just because like Basharat by default in that top range is the lowest scorer up there. So I feel like he's going to be Madonka at seven K is a nice way to save salary and just hope he can finish or maybe make it to the decision. Like I have no confidence in him. Like there, there's nothing like I can be like, Oh yeah, this is just an awful misprice. And he's favored here, here and here. Basharat's probably better everywhere, but you have to take some chances on one of these guys down here. This is why I'm going to end up playing Madonka. Even though I like Basharat, I'm gonna I'm fully expecting Basharat's win. Madonka's plus two seventy. Like if we're just comparing some of the betting odds, Barcelos is plus six hundred. We got Nick Aguirre plus three ninety. Uh, some of the other ones we've talked about. Um, what's the oh, a Fiori is plus five fifty. If we're just going based on the betting lines, Madonka's way more likely to win than these other ones, and I don't expect him to win. But the problem is all of the big favorites are like minus six hundred, minus seven hundred today. And we have to take shots on some underdogs. And unfortunately, Madonka, I don't expect him to win, but I think he's a little bit more win equity than some of the other guys. I feel like that's kind of what you're saying as well. Yeah, it's just like 
you kind of hope the floor is there in the first round. Like maybe he has a moment, you know what I mean? Like one of those big moments, he knocks down Basharat, even if he doesn't get the finish, like Basharat is kind of like messed up for the rest of the fight. And it goes to the decision, but like, I don't want to be putting Nick Fiore in my lineup to Ronnie Barcelos. There's just massive, massive underdogs. You're not going to make a living, you know, putting in plus 600 fighters in your lineups. You know what I mean? So plus 270 based on the other guys in that range makes some sense. It's just, you're looking for reasons. I think Basharat wins the fight. It's just, you just kind of hope that, you know, Madonka has a moment or two. Yeah. And it's just hard to find underdogs that we really like on the, on this slate. And, uh, the favorites we're gonna feel really good about a lot of them now the next fight we have it's gonna be hard to really find a side that we're in love with but abdul razak al hassan is taking on claudio ribeiro and this is a fight that no matter which side you think wins i think we should be if there's one thing we're confident in this fight the winner's going to score well would you agree with that yes for the most part there is always that possibility that both sides just absolutely bust because um Al Hassan, if he gets out of the first round, is just gassed. Ribeiro, big first round finisher. Now, you look on the scale, right? Ribeiro came in at 183. He yeah. didn't look very big. Al Hassan has to cut weight to get to 185. He I have no idea how he ever made 170. He is a thick boy. So he's gonna be easily over 200 pounds here. He's going to have the advantages here. Now, we've seen Al Hassan get absolutely just crushed by um, what was this? Chaos Williams. Was it Chaos Williams? Yeah. So we, we've seen a couple of fights that have not gone his way. One of them was the Chaos Williams fight. The other one was against um, uh, Munir Lezez. And that was a fight where oh, the yeah. long, long layoff for Zach Al Hassan. He didn't get finished in that fight. But he got the absolute shit beat out of him past the first round. But uh, the Chaos Williams is one where he absolutely got lit on fire. Yeah. And that was like the first punch he took. He was just stiff as a board. And then he got wrestled to the moon by Jacob Malkoon. But I don't think you have to worry about that here. Like uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan is going to have the power advantage. He's going to have the size advantage. This is heavily favored inside the distance. So, like, while we can argue who's going to win this and that, I think you have to have heavy exposure to both sides because there's a good chance that it ends early. Obviously, there's that busk risk with any fight, really, but based off the odds, you're going to need exposure to both sides. And my preference is going to be Abdul Razak Al-Hassan after the weigh-ins. So it's kind of weird because we've seen a lot of line movement. First, there was line movement in favor of Ribeiro. You and I are on different sides of this, but we both had line value at different points. So the initial alignment was towards Ribeiro. Then we saw the weigh-in happen. And then Abdul Razak Al-Hassan started to get a lot of action. So he is now the favorite. But let's see. What is the current inside the distance line? What would you guess it is if you haven't looked at it? Under one and a half rounds. Under one and a half, I'd probably line it like minus 270. Yeah, it is minus 250 right now. That's what This is, to me, the best fight on the card to target. There isn't that much value to get to. Both these guys are relatively cheap. I lean towards Al Hassan, but I'm going to have one side of this fight in nearly every lineup I build. Yeah, same. It's just, you know, I got a, I got in early on Rip Vieira. It was like plus 101. I, I have some opportunity to kind of not like arbitrage it because Al Hassan by knockout is like plus 140. You'd need him to win by knockout, but it's kind of plus money on both sides there. But the, 
this fight is it's gonna end inside distance unless you know Al Hassan completely just fades to black, Ribeiro just fades to black, and you just get an ugly guy just swing it. Like that's Ribeiro's thing though. Like in the first round, like he has he's not technical at all. He just kind of throws haymakers, and if he connects, he connects. So this could be an ugly fight if it gets over one and a half. But I expect it to finish it pretty early. All right, let's hit on some of the super chats and uh, one here from Jorge Jacomi who says that he screwed up his last super chat. But who would you recommend for single entry large field GPP tournament? So who's a couple of fighters that you would say we should be targeting in single entry GPPs? So single entry, you're probably going to want the main event, right? And depending on what side you're on, I don't think you need the main event. Yeah, I yeah, that's true, but. Strickland, if you if you like the Strickland side, I think it's more likely to have him in your lineup just because he's seventy seven hundred. But I think you need one of the top guys, either Rebecca or cousin Umar. Argueta, minus six hundred favorite, eighty six hundred stands out. Like he has massive uh, value based on his price and line. So those are you know I want one of the top end guys, and I want Argueta unless you're on Nick Aguirre which we'll talk about, like Nick Aguirre has some finishing upside, but then you got to kind of look at these underdogs and you just, it's ugly, man. If you have a lean on one of these underdogs, play them. Like I, I, there's all these guys, 73 and under, we've talked about it ad nauseum already. I don't think any of those guys are going to win. We're looking for reasons for the, to play them. And you just kind of hope they hit some value in a loss. I'm going to say, well, so how about this? If you had to pick one underdog who isn't Strickland to play in a single entry lineup, who who would you be picking? Well, I'll take Ribeiro out of there just because, like, he's 7,900. Uh, so how about yeah. one, one, if you were to pick one fighter cheaper than Strickland to play yeah. in a large field tournament in a single entry, who would you pick? I think it's Mandanka or Aguirre. Like, I like Jimmy Flick. I think he has some finishing upside. But if he doesn't get the early finish, he's going to get finished. So, Madonka, just because he's the the smallest underdog compared to the guys down there. Nick Guire, I think, has some uh, submission upside, albeit not very much. He's a massive underdog. But if he does win, that's his path to victory. I'm going to start with Carlos Hernandez. I just think he's the most safety of any of the cheap fighters we're looking at. In addition... I think there's a real case that, like we talked about at the top, this could be a slate where there's a losing in the optimal lineup. And I think that's most likely to be Carlos Hernandez just because the fight is a good chance to go to decision. So my answer is going to be Carlos Hernandez uh, mid-range. My favorite fighter to target is Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. And then paying up in single entry, I'm going to say Rebecca. Yeah, I agree on Rebecca for sure. Yeah, and the mid-range, one of Al Hassan and Ribeiro, if you have a lean. Like, we can argue back and forth on who's going to win that fight. No one will know until it happens, you know. No strong lean there. And then getting back to the Ribeiro, Abdurazak, Al Hassan fight, anything else to add here? I think we're both in agreement. It's a really good fight to target. It's likely to finish early, like we said, about minus 250 to finish inside of a round and a half. But once again, a pick it's really hard to say with uber confidence which side is is more likely to win. But play both sides, and this is a really strong fight to target. Yeah, again, I have no strong lean. I have, <laughs> I have my confidence in either guy is not very high, but a fight line like that 
to end inside the distance, you're going to want exposure to both sides. All right. So the next one, Matus Rebecca taking on Nick Fiore. Rebecca, one of the biggest favorites on the card. Uh, Umar, slightly bigger favorite at this point. But uh, to me, Rebecca, large field tournaments, I think he's the guy to pay up for. I think he's the most safety and the most upside on the high end. I like paying up for Rebecca. A little tough to get up to him at more than the field is. Currently project for 47% ownership. What are you going to be doing with Rebecca and Fiore in large field tournaments? So I'll start with uh, Fiore. The positives here, he fights out of the New England cartel. That's a very good camp. Like he's training with a lot of good guys there. His regional scene, all first round finishes. So that's the positives. Now we get to the negatives. The guys he's fighting on the regional scenes, 5-19 and 19 record, 15-13, and 8-4, and 3-9, and 15-98. and 98. I had to look that up to see if that was legit, and it looks pretty legit. The guy's just getting crushed, 15-98. So, like, one, there's no tape of him getting extended into the second round. Two, the guys here is finishing are not good fighters. And then you look at Rebecca. He is... These are the guys we target on DraftKings, right? The guys who have grappling upside. And Rebecca has grappling upside here. He beat, um, what was the guy's name? Rodrigo Lidio on uh, the Contender Series, won by submission. Got two takedowns very early. Looked really good on top, was flowing, got the rear naked choke. I think there is some serious, serious finishing upside for Rebecca. With you know grappling and control time, maybe it gets dicey early with Fiori just because you know he wins his only wins are in the first round. Like there's, we've never seen him extend into the second or the third. So if it gets into there, I feel like Rebecca is going to be even more favored there if he doesn't finish in the first. He's going to have the cardio advantages, the wrestling advantages. It's just uh, Rebecca is. Pound for pound, probably my favorite play on this slate. It's just a matter of being able to pay up for him and get a lineup that you're comfortable with. If pricing wasn't an issue, we'd be playing all the Rebecca in the world. That's that's really yeah. the only concern is just how are we going to comfortably pay up for him when there's so few underdogs we like. So once again, if I could only pay up for one fighter, my choice would be Rebecca, but the, the salary restrictions will make it hard to have him in, say, like 100% of lineups or anything like that. And as we move on to the next fight, Alan Nascimento against Carlos Hernandez. I'm going to be targeting Carlos Hernandez in large field tournaments, not because I think he's going to win. And we actually, you know, we've got our guy, Narco Cop, who's going to be doing content for us over on the on the sports betting side over at Chopper for us. And he's saying that he uh, that he likes Nascimento in this matchup. I mean, you know, I do, too. I like Nascimento in this matchup. I think he's a better wrestler. I think he's the better grappler. I think he's got potential for DraftKings to earn an early submission for sure. But at the same time, I have to look at some of the lines for these fights. And when Nascimento is minus 320, relative to the other expensive fighters, he's just not quite as likely to win as like an Umar Namagomedov or, or as a Matus Rebecki. So I'm going to be playing some of Carlos Hernandez in large field tournaments, mostly because there's a lack of underdogs that I think have a realistic chance at winning. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Nascimento does have sneaky finishing upside here. Has he shown it in the UFC? No, but he's fought in or he's fought in, making up words now. On the contender series, he fought uh, Paiva, lost the split decision. Then he fought uh, Tiger uh, Ulam-Blankov in his UFC debut, which is a very tough fight. He lost the split decision there. Then he beat Jake Hadley 
by decision there, he showed some wrestling upside there. I think, you know, Nascimento is the better wrestler, the better grappler. Carlos Hernandez grinds out fights. You know what I mean? His last two fights, he's won by split decision. Before that, on the regional scene, went to decision. He did have a couple early finishes here, but he's never been finished, which is a good sign. So, like, again, do I think Nascimento wins this fight? Yes. But does Carlos Hernandez have a chance to score 38 points in a decision loss? Yes. Is that going to be enough? Could be. So, yeah, I think targeting both sides here makes some sense. And I kind of do agree with the fighter 7,300 and under that Carlos Hernandez does have the highest floor. Yeah, and if we had to make a list, by the way, of which which underdogs do you think are most likely to end up in an optimal lineup in a loss, I would say Carlos Hernandez is one, and then probably Madonka being the other one. Yeah, in a loss, absolutely. It's car- that that is the list. I think like maybe Barcelos has some wrestling in in the beginning. It's just hard to see it. Yeah, in a loss, I would put Carlos Hernandez one, Madonka two, and that's kind of the list. Yeah, I mean, the problem with Barcelos in a loss, well, number one, he's really cheap, but the problem if he loses is that he's going to get Russell fucked by Umar, and you just just don't score fantasy points when you're laying on your back. So it's not hard to see a scenario where Umar wins a decision and Barcelos scores like eight fantasy points. Yeah, this fight could eerily look similar to Khabib against... um... That Brazilian fighter who looks like Ronnie Barcelos. Edson Barbosa. It could look really <laughs> similar to that. Yeah. I'm just having my mind is just going blank on some of these names. But yeah. Like I like the fighters in the top range. It's just trying to you're gonna have to get comfortable being uncomfortable clicking in some names to that. It's just what's gonna happen. And then what are you gonna do with Nascimento in large field tournaments? He's not as big of a favorite as a lot of these other guys at the high end. Uh, there's obvious upside if he was to get an early submission at the same time, too. We haven't seen him put up a good DraftKings score. He's probably my lowest priority of the pay-up options of the, the really top-tier guys, but, but what are you going to do with him? Yeah, he's about 20% lower than these other guys in the top range. I think he has some sneaky finishing upside. So if you want to get away from the super chalky Rebecca and Cousin Umar, uh, I think you can put in Nascimento for some sneaky upside here. Uh, if he you know, if he doesn't get that early finish, like you're going to be in trouble unless he has like six or seven takedowns. But like th- those are the those are the chances you have to take in these large field GPPs to win them. So I don't mind him as a leverage play per se. But if I'm only making like 20 lineups, I'm going to prioritize Rebecca and Nurmagomedov. Yeah, we're on we're on the same page as as that. And that's why also Nascimento, I'm not going to really get all that much of him. But let me check the. Mike, can you pull up the top fighters tool again? I want to see where we're at on these guys. So, Nascimento, we've got projected for 29% ownership. Carlos Hernandez, 20%. I'm probably going to be underweight to Nascimento and overweight to Hernandez based on those ownerships. Is that, is that what you think you'll be as well? Yeah. I mean, like maybe I'll get closish to the field on Nascimento, but I'll definitely be over on Carlos Hernandez. So let's move on to the next fight, which is the biggest line value spot amongst the high-end fighters. Dan Argetta taking on Nick Aguirre. Aguirre stepping in on short notice. So hard to know how prepared Aguirre is for this fight, but we've got Dan Argetta, who we know has wrestling upside. We saw him even in a loss in his last fight. Let me pull up the stats for that one. So 
Dan Argetto, last time out against Damon Jackson, even in the loss, he was able to go to a decision against Damon Jackson. He was able to defend uh, a couple of takedowns, landed a takedown. I thought he pretty clearly won the last round of that fight, if I remember correctly. He rallied a little bit. I, I, I don't love Dan Argetta, but at the same time, too, it's hard to not side with the line value. I think if we're looking at leverage plays, you can make a case for Aguirre and large field tournaments, but uh, the clear priority here is going to be Dan Argetta. Yeah, and he's going to be the most popular just because of his price based on his line. Now, here's the issue I'm running into because when Argueta was fighting Isaac Dolgarian, I was on Dolgarian here. So I think I'm going to take some stabs on Nick Aguirre. Now, Nick Aguirre, like you said, don't know what kind of shape he's in if he's prepared. He last fought in, you know, the middle of December. But if he pulled a strong Strickland, he hasn't been training in a month. You know what I mean? You always have the holidays in there, too. So he didn't seem to have issues on the scale, so that's always good. The first fight is always with the scale, and he looked pretty good. Now, he has some early finishes, but this regional scene is out of the Midwest in the U.S., which isn't, like, exactly the powerhouse regional scene. But he has all of his wins are early finishes. Ground and pound, real naked choke, KT, uh, TKO, triangle choke, guillotine choke. Like, he has submission upside here. Now, the guys he's fighting, very minimal records. Now, is he going to have a moment where he gets Arveta in a dangerous position? It's certainly possible. But if he doesn't, he's he's another one of those guys in the bottom range here that has a very low floor, but he has the potential to win. He's a finisher. He's seen on the regional scene. He's 11-1 to 1 in the current books to win by submission. But I think that's his path to victory. And if it is, it's going to happen early. And if he does win by submission early, he's probably going to break the slate. If one of these guys in the, the low and punt range that we've talked about wins, they're going to be on the optimal lineup. Yeah. And I mean, once again, Aguirre, if I'm playing him in large field tournaments, it's really just for leverage because, you know, based on the line value on Dan Argetta, who once again, I expect to win, but just the way I play MMA DFS on DraftKings, it's hard for me to not like Aguirre just based on what I expect the ownership split to be. Yeah, he's going to be one of the lowest, if not the lowest owned. You know, we have him projected at 6.4% right now. So for his finishing upside, like it doesn't take much to get over the field if you're putting in 150. So yeah, like even if you double or, or like double the field at 13%, I think that's fine. Argetta projected almost 50% here for good reason. Minus 600 favorite at 8,600. You know, again, do I expect Aguirre to win? No. But he's one of those guys who has legitimate upside early if he can capitalize on it. Otherwise, he's going to lose. And the other thing to add here, too, is because you just mentioned the ownership, right? 6%. And now here's a way to look at it. We know how much variance there is in MMA. I think Arget is going to win. Here's why for large field tournaments, I like Aguirre, though. If he wins this fight, he's fairly likely to be optimal, right? I, I think we're both on the, the same page with the, the finishing upside and the lack of underdogs to target. And he's only projected for 6% ownership. He certainly wins this fight more than 6% of the time, which probably means he's, he's optimal probably, I don't know, 25, 30% of the time on this slate, something along those lines. That makes him very appealing. The fact that you could have somebody who, if this slate plays out four times, Aguirre is going to be optimal in one of them, probably. 
and he's only projected for 6% ownership. So I think he's going very under-owned for the slate, and I understand why. But large field tournaments, I'm going to be overweight to Nick Aguirre and probably underweight to Dan Argetta. It will probably go poorly more often than not, but the times it goes well, it's going to pay off really in a really big way. Yeah, and it's always, at least our uh, Argetta is 8,600. Sometimes we see these like mispricings where like he's minus 600 at 7,900, and then it's just like an automatic free square. 8,600 is at least a conversation where you can fade and hope he doesn't get a finish and you hope sort like guys in his range like Soriano or Ige outscore him you know what I mean so at six percent on Aguirre definitely going to be over the field there just you know short notice could he get absolutely stomped yeah but like does he have upside yeah like you mentioned like one in four slates he's going to be optimal so you got to take some stabs I think now the final fight of the night we've got Charles Johnson going up against Jimmy Flick uh, as for Charles Johnson, I've not been super impressed with him so far in the UFC. Now, he had the fight last time out against uh, Zhalga Zhumagulov. Every single Zhumagulov fight ends up being a split decision. I always end up thinking Zhumagulov won, and then he never does. So I thought that Zhumagulov won that fight, did not ultimately get the nod from the judges. And then UFC debut for Charles Johnson came up against uh, Mohamed Makayev, and he just got held down for the entire fight. 12 takedowns landed by Makayev. Uh, Jimmy Flick does have a grappling upside. I don't think he's going to be able to implement it in the same way that we saw Makayev do with the with the wrestling and being able to hold down Charles Johnson or anything like that. Uh, overall, uh, this is a fight that I am not going to have really that much interest in relative to a lot of the other fights we've talked about. It's a lower priority fight, but do you have a strong lean on this one? I don't, but like I I, I, I see a lot of people talking up Jimmy Flick um, about his finishing upside. Like, yeah, he does finish fights. His two in the UFC, well, one on Contender Series and against Cody Jordan, were submission wins. But Charles Johnson is hard to finish. He got absolutely destroyed by um, Muhammad Makayev. And he's a finishing machine, you know what I mean? He he subbed uh, Cody Jordan. He subbed Malcolm Gordon. Makayev took him down 12 times. That means Charles Johnson is is looking to work himself up he's not going to settle for bottom position so i feel like jimmy flick's gonna go for it and you know get himself into a submission attempt and end up in a bad position i think charles johnson's just gonna take advantage of it now again we're talking about this bottom range where no one's comfortable so yeah i think he can take a stab on jimmy flick and hope he can find that finish but if he doesn't find that finish early i don't think he's going to be in this fight per se um Charles Johnson, 56% takedown defense. Again, that's kind of skewed because he got taken down 12 of 26 times against Makayev and only once against uh, Zipangulov, who attempted only four. So, again, do I think Charles Johnson wins? Yes. Can he take a shot on Flick? Yes. I just, I just have a hard time seeing if Flick doesn't catch him in an early submission, him winning by decision. I just think it's a low outcome. Uh, yeah a low percentage outcome. Any other, we, we reached the end here and a lot of other content on the YouTube channel today, guys. If you haven't done it yet, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got NFL, the NFL slate covered today. I'm be hosting the NFL show. We've also got the NBA slate tonight. So NBA live before lock. Once again, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Do, do you have any other takeaways for, for this card, Josh? <laughs> I mean, the big thing is you're just going to have to plug your nose and plug one of these low end guys in if you're spending up for Rebecca or uh, Nirmagomedov and hope that one of them 
you know, can get to 40 points in a loss. You can build mid-range stuff without going to the, the top end guys. That could be a path to victory. You know, I, I think if you're building 150, you have to consider some mid-range builds here without going to the top and hope that it's not a finish fest, I, you know, because you don't have to go down into that bottom range. But again, like <laughs> there are some pretty heavy scoring guys at the top range. So one way or another, you're going to have some uncomfortable clicks on the slate. So, you know, just get comfortable being uncomfortable. And once again, if you guys want access to all the MMA tools we have over at stochastic.com, get a five-day free trial just by clicking on the link below. Our fighter projections, our ownership projections. Also, you can look at our top fighters tool and all different kinds of metrics like we we're showing on the screen of uh, just here. We've got the ownership. We've got the expected pace of the fight the odds of them being one of the top six scoring fighters on the slate, their odds of scoring 100 or more fantasy points. So all really useful stuff for building lineups in large field tournaments, free access for five days by clicking on the link below where you find it right now in the YouTube chat. But that is going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you very much for watching. Enjoy the card tonight and good luck. Good luck, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.